Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Holtcast. Of course, it's Cole Petum here as always. And before we get you right into this match preview with Elliot from the Arsenal Vision podcast that Seb will be speaking with, I just wanted to drop another quick mention about what we're doing, of course, with Acorns Children's Hospice and how we're raising money with them. Of course, like I said before in our previous pod, if you want to go to justgiving.com forward slash fundraising forward slash villa, you can donate today. It's always appreciated. And all proceeds, of course, go to Acorns, such a special and fantastic charity within the Birmingham area. Without further ado, let's get you right over to Seb and Elliot. And I'm joined by Elliot. How are you, Elliot? Doing well, Seb. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. No, no worries. So looking at Villa Arsenal, obviously the first of this weekend's fixtures across the Premier League. Um, How do you make of this fixture in general? Because we've had a fixture history of 52. This will be the 53rd um, meeting between the two teams with Arsenal coming out on top 27 times Villa only 11 however Villa have had the spoils recently being unbeaten in the last three without conceding a goal and the last time Villa made the trip to the Emirates they obviously came away 3-0 winners how do you see this one panning out well it's interesting I was at the Emirates for the Palace game on Monday and I think a lot of people were expecting better than we got and the the real challenge for Arsenal right now does seem to be creating chances. I know we scored twice against Palace, but by and large, we we don't really push teams back. We don't create a lot of threat, a lot of danger. I think we are a team that winds up drawing the opposition into playing with us what tends to be fairly unexciting football. I, I don't think our games, other than the Derby, thankfully, have been uh, the best on the eyes. So I'm hoping that we can turn that around. You would think that being at home would be an advantage, but our record at home under Arteta hasn't been very good. Now, admittedly, some of that is impacted by the fact that there were no fans in the ground for a large portion of that period. So I think home and away form has to be thrown out during that time. But there's no no time like the present for Arsenal to turn it around. And uh, I am very, very curious to see if the manager has a rethink about the approach because between the Brighton game and the Palace game, what we've tried to do just clearly hasn't worked. You mentioned Arteta, and we'll touch on him again a bit later. But looking at this season so far, Villa sitting 13th, Arsenal just a place above on 12th, with both teams having won three games. You said you don't seem to push teams back and cause them threats in the attacking phase. Well, I had a look at that, and the average goals scored so far this season, Villa sit on 1.5, Arsenal on 0.8. Now, Arsenal have quite a good defensive record over the last two years or so, so you've almost made up for that so far. But is the lack of goals a concern, considering the big names of Aubameyang and Lacazette? And how do you think you could not, how do you think you could improve that in time to come? Yeah, it's it's more than just the lack of goals; it's the lack of goal threat, right? I mean, there's a few things about Arsenal. We play fairly slow, we play back to front, but we we don't 
sustain possession in the attacking third. We're also not a particularly pressing team. We don't do a lot of um, engaging the opposition high up the pitch. So I think we tend to be fairly comfortable to play against. I think we are dead last in the league in terms of the amount of defensive pressure we put on and, and the extent to which it's fairly easy for the opposition to pass the ball around. Now, to our credit, I think when we are in our defensive block, whether it's a mid block or a low block, both of which we we employ, we defend pretty well and we're pretty organized despite the two goals we conceded against Palace. The problem is that we just make it really hard for ourselves to create chances. It requires us to move the ball all the way from back to front, starting with Ramsdale through the defenders. We tend to play with these wide triangles and, and vacate central spaces, and so we don't have a lot of men in the box at the end of moves. We don't create the easy opportunities in transition by taking the ball off the opposition high up the pitch. So it all feels a little bit safe and secure at the back at the expense of what we're doing in attack. And I think, you know, if you're a team that wants to finish mid-table, that wants to protect your ability to stay in the league, well, okay, this can work. But if you're a team with the ambitions that we theoretically should have, um, and especially when our talent is concentrated, I think you would say in some really exciting young attacking players, the fact that we're not able to be more threatening, I think is, is deeply concerning. Yeah, you're right. You mentioned the exciting young players and two off the top of my head, Emil Smith-Rowe, who was heavily linked to Villa in the summer, and then Aaron Ramsdale, who obviously came in. We'll touch on Emil Smith-Rowe first. He obviously had a £30 million bid rejected from Villa. Um, this season so far, he's made eight appearances, one goal and one assist. And in his Arsenal career as a whole, 54 appearances, nine goals, eight assists. He went on to sign a new contract. How have you made of him so far this season? And how can he help other young players coming through Arsenal's exciting academy at the moment and help to, the, to see them flourish on the pitch? Yeah, look, I mean, I think there's no getting around the fact that if Arsenal are going to be good in coming seasons, it's going to be the young players coming good. It's going to be Smith-Rowe. It's going to be Saka. It's going to be players like Martinelli. Odegaard is still relatively young. We are in a bit of a reset. I mean, you may hear the joke going around Arsenal social media, trust the process, but we are really in a project youth uh, of a new generation right now with Smith-Rowe and Saka being the crown jewels of the academy. I am a big Smith-Rowe fan. I really believe in the player. I think whenever the attack isn't working, everyone will have their favorite player to blame for it. So there are people that think Pepe is shocking, and there are people that think Aubameyang doesn't do enough and shouldn't have gotten his contract, and there are people that think you know Saka needs to add goals, and Smith-Rowe certainly comes in for his fair share of criticism. I think largely based on some decision-making in the final third. He collects the ball and drives through the middle third really effectively. He's got a great burst but does he give the right pass on time when it's needed to, to end the move? Does he sometimes favor his shot when a pass is on? Yes, but you look at the Spurs game, and he had his hand in every goal that we created. He scored one, he assisted one, and then he had an unbelievable diagonal pass-up that broke all the lines um, to make, I think, Saka's goal. So I do love Smith-Rowe. When the attack isn't working, the attacking players are just going to come in for criticism. I think it is more system than individuals, and also... I mean, he is a player who came in Boxing Day last season, played a bit, was out a bit with injury, and that's really the extent of his first team uh, action until this season when he was given the number 10 shirt. I also think Odegaard's arrival means he's had to adapt because he's not playing as a 10 in front of a double pivot, in front of a you know an attacking trio. He's playing sort of nominally on the left, and then against Palace, he played on the right, um, sort of next to part, uh, Pepe with Saka back on the left. There's a lot of chopping and changing in that area happening right now and players that are trying to, I think, figure out what their role is meant to be. So 
there's certainly criticism that's due for Smith Rowe and things he can improve, but it is at his age, most players have things they can improve. I think the sky's the limit for him. I really do. Yeah, I'd probably tend to agree with you there from a neutral perspective. Another one of your signings I mentioned a bit earlier, Ramsdale, who came in for 30 million. He obviously has that price tag on him. He didn't start the first few games, which I thought was quite surprising. Leno took the number one shot. And then he came in two games in and he hasn't looked back, really. He's looked really good in that Arsenal defence. He's made that position his own. And I think that's one for him to keep now looking forward for Arsenal. He's made five appearances. He's got three clean sheets in that time, made 13 saves. And one thing I noticed that was interesting is he's made 32 throwouts, which is almost as much as Leno made throughout the whole of last season. So it's interesting to see that Arteta clearly wants that from him and he wants you to play from the back. And when we look at who Villa have in goal, Emi Martinez, obviously an ex-Arsenal player himself, he he left you and he, he went on to shine last season. So do you think that Ramsdale is a long-term future number one and how much can he help you progress in an already shining back line? So I think it's always important um, to, to be honest about wrong opinion, you know, look, you can celebrate your right opinions. You should be honest about your wrong opinions. Otherwise, why should anyone take you seriously? Uh, and to be fair, maybe no one should take me seriously, but I did not want Ramsdale. I did not understand the money we were spending for him. It seemed like a weird choice for me. We have a very expensively acquired player in Leno. We doubled down on Leno when we got rid of Mar- uh, Martinez, Martinez. I think, I think, the question marks were around. Obviously, he's he's seen himself relegated a couple times and conceded a lot of goals, but he's also picked his player of the season. The thing that worried me was no one launched the ball longer more often than Ramsdale last season for Sheffield United. We have, are a team that in Leno played the most pa- short passes out from the back of any goalkeeper in the league. So it, it felt a little incongruous, and I, I thought, how do we know that he's going to have that skill set? But look, he's come in and a few things. First of all, he's an incredibly likable guy. He is... He's a fan favorite. He really gets the fan engagement side of it and winning over the fans. Uh, so that helps. He seems a lot more communicative, a lot more of a leader from the back. There's a good rapport there. He's been brilliant with his distribution. And and to be fair, it's not so much that he's playing the same number of short passes Leno did. I, I think Leno has probably been overly maligned because he was a player of the season candidate for us, actually, before he went down with injury and, and Emmy Martinez came in. But... But Ramsdale varies the passes he plays out. He will break the lines a bit. He will go past the defenders into midfield. He will he can fade that ball over a defender into the right back, you know, or or his long kicking, I think, can be a little more of a weapon, uh, even though it wasn't in a game like, you know, Brighton, for example. But by and large, I mean, look, when you have an expensive goalkeeper and you have a lot of issues in your team, spending a lot of money on another goalkeeper who has just come from a fairly suspect uh, uh environment is a little bit intimidating, a little bit scary. You say, why are we putting the resources into this? But to be fair, I think also there's been a falling out between Leno and the club. Leno was pretty vocal about being ready to move on. I don't think he wants to be at Arsenal and I don't think he will be for very long. So that probably made this a bigger priority. And I think we had our eye on David Rea, actually, David Rea before Brentford came up. So it's clearly a position that Arsenal have been targeting. Point blank, I got this wrong. He's been good. He's been likable. He has been, I think, better. But... The one area where I'll say, I, not that I got it right, but you can see why I had the concerns I did. We brought in Ramsdale. He's been great, and we aren't any better. And we don't score any more goals, and we don't create any more chances. That's not his fault, but my point is, if you utilize your resources in a way that doesn't make you a better team, 
Was that the right utilization? That's not a critic. I hope you follow what I'm saying. It's not a criticism of Ramsdale, who's been excellent. But the addition of Ramsdale hasn't made Arsenal better. And, um, you know, so that then you just have to ask, did we prioritize the right position? Yeah, I completely agree with what you're saying. I mean, Villa have known more than anyone in recent years how important a good strategy for transfers is and how that can actually dictate your season and where you finish. Touching on Arsenal's defence, carrying on. Last season, I think you actually had a good defensive record under Arteta. You only had an average goal conceded um, of one per game, which isn't that bad. I think it was one of the few better defences in the league last season, obviously with no fans. This season, um, until Ramsdale came in, you were shipping goals for fun, bar it being against Man City. You know, many people will ship goals against Man City, so that's understandable. But looking at Arteta, do you think that he's getting the best out of your players at the moment? Are you... Because we see a lot of criticism come from Arteta from certain sides of the Arsenal fan base. It seems to be very divided at times with some, of, as you touched on, say, believe the process, you know, this isn't a short-term thing. And then there's others going, well, what process is it that we're believing in here? I, I saw a video, I think it was last week, saying that, um, you know, Palace have a clear strategy under Vieira. They came to Arsenal and you could see their game plan whereas they couldn't see a defined game plan under Arteta despite his 96 games at the club, I believe it to be. So where do you stand on the situation? Mm. The problem with social media and I think digital content generally is just that nuance gets sucked out of it. And so suddenly you have these two poles. You have people who hate the manager and people who will defend him through anything and just love him. And the reality is I, I think you would have to be a little bit strange in my view, to not have concerns. I mean, he's going to be going on two years in the job and there are persistent clear problems with the football we play under him and questions that have not been answered. At no point consistently under Mikel Arteta would you be able to say that Arsenal have a clear philosophy about how they want to create chances in attack. I know we want to do wide triangles. I know we want to play back to front. We'll transition when we can, but we don't press at all. We don't take the ball off the opposition. We've had a back three period. We've had a 4-2-3-1 period, a 4-3-3 period. Now we're in a back four period where the right back drops in to make a three and build up, and we play 3-2-5 in, in possession and 4-4-2 out of possession with sort of two tight banks of four. It's all very understandable and defensible, like sort of intellectually, but it's kind of like trying to describe a painting. You can talk about the painting, but that doesn't make it art. I can talk about Arteta's football in a way that makes it make sense, but it does not look like it makes sense when you watch it. It is not fun to watch. It does not create chances. It does not push teams back. We're not going to scare you. We're not going to make your players panicked about giving the ball away or worry about our dynamic you know, ability to pin you into your defensive third and keep the ball for five minutes at a time. And look, I realize that, you know, it's the best clubs in the country that do that consistently. It's Liverpool, it's it's Chelsea, it's City. Um, but we don't even really do it in spells. And so my relationship with Arteta is a complicated one because I did want him. Uh, I did want to give him the benefit of the doubt. I was pretty much Arteta out by Boxing Day of last season when we were touching the relegation zone. He then put a run together that was really encouraging. And you, you would be overly stubborn not to have appreciated what he did in turning it around, incorporating young players, sort of moving out the players that clearly weren't getting it done, like a Willian, you know, a landmine that we stepped on there. 
But here's the thing, right? Then we we lose in tame fashion to Villarreal in the Europa League semifinal, and we start this season in really poor form, and the attack again looks like it's not clear, and the system once again looks like it's evolving into something new. Two years into a job, I think, should be clear. I mean, Patrick Vieira is a good example. I don't think Palace are scintillating. But they went from being a deep block kick it long Nizaha team to a team that now in 80% of their games are saying has a lion's share of possession and passes it around. And he's been there a couple of months. And I wouldn't say that they have a dominant lineup of superstars by any means. So you should be able, I think, to implement your philosophy pretty quickly as a coach and then build around that. And by this point, I think it should be clear what that is. And even if it's not working, you should be able to look at it and say, I see what he's trying to do, and I think it's effective. We're just not quite getting it right yet. I'm not there. So I'm not ready to be one of those sort of very polarized people on the internet who says, hey, he's a bum, he needs to go. But like deep, deep concerns about the way we're trying to play, and in particular, attack under Arteta. As far as defense, by the way, just real quick, you mentioned it. I think it's a little skewed. We played our first three games basically without any starters because of COVID and issues like that. Uh, Against Brentford, we had a back four that I don't think any of them have played again, a back five. Um, Then we had Chelsea and City, right? And so that's going to, that's going to have an outsized impact on what your, your goals against Tally looks like. I think generally defense isn't the issue for Arsenal. It's the opposite. Yeah. I think you raised some really good points there. Another thing that I was interested about was Arsenal having not qualified for Europe. I've got it down here. as it being for the first time in 25 years? Mm -hmm. Obviously, for your fan base, that would be a major, major disappointment. But do you think with what you've seen so far in the opening eight games that that could prove to be a positive when looking to gain an advantage over teams that you'd be hoping to beat to that position this season? Is there any way that fatigue could come into it? Injuries, like you said, you suffered with COVID at the start and you know Villa, Villa have had the same. We haven't been able to put out our full strength team yet. Do you think that that could come into play later on in the season where you could put a run together where the teams, mainly Liverpool and Man City and teams like that, start to struggle with their fixture list as that happens every year? So I think that that is a narrative that holds true more in two, in two situations that don't apply to us. I think it absolutely is the case with um, Champions League. Right, Because you're really going to probably play your strongest team in midweek when you have Champions League. I think it also applies to to smaller clubs that have smaller squads because they just don't have the ability to rotate for Thursday night football. I don't know that I think it applies to us. I think we're actually struggling without it because we have a lot of players that at least I regard as very good players who just are not playing football right now. And Thursday night football would have been a chance for them to play and get into the reckoning for the weekend, stay match sharp. Lacazette doesn't play at all. Now, to his credit, he came on and and looked great against Palace, so that was good. Gabriel Martinelli is a player that's hugely rated, doesn't play at all, got his first minutes in ages against Palace as well as a sub. Uh, Fuller and Balogun, another highly thought of academy player, not playing at all, not making match day teams. Eddie Nketiah, who doesn't have a future at Arsenal, I don't think, not playing at all, not making the match day squad at times. Um... You know, and, and on and on down the list, you can say there are players that really could be using minutes. And it's also an opportunity to maybe try some things because when you're playing Europa League group stage games, those are sort of a given. You're going to get through the group. It's also a backdoor into the Champions League. Like, here's the thing people don't get. Arsenal are probably like an 8% chance or a 5% chance to finish top four in the Premier League and get into the Champions League. If we're in the Europa League, 
we are basically guaranteed a semifinal spot, which means you got to win like three more games and, and you're in the Champions League. We cannot afford to turn down the opportunity to have that kind of backdoor into it. I mean, as bad as we were last season, we were, you know, one foot in the, you know, I mean, we should beat Villarreal. We could have been the final. In Arsene Wenger's last season when we were bad, we got knocked out by Atletico Madrid in a game, in, in a tie we had dominated. Another season when we were bad under Unai Emery, we made the final in Baku, right, against Chelsea. So, like, you just can't turn down the chance at a backdoor into the Champions League and how that could change the fortunes of the club. So I tend not to see it as an advantage. Um, it's certainly not helping us right now. And we've got a bigger problem, which is the African Cup of Nations is going to take a big bite out of our squad when that comes around. So um, I would absolutely take being in the Europa League. I think it could help us find solutions for players that maybe aren't hitting their heights right now. And, and then... You know, I'd I'd take a backdoor into the Champions League any day, yeah. Yeah, that's fair enough. Like, that's completely fine. Looking at Villa for the weekend, or, well, Friday night, how do you see the prospect of playing us at the moment? Have you watched much of us this season, and what are you expecting from the match? I've watched a bit. Um, I wouldn't say I've watched as as much as I might normally get a chance to, just uh, traveling around doing a bunch of things for the first time in two years. But, you know, I I think... You know, Emi Buendia, I'm, I'm curious to to see and maybe hear what you think because that's a player that I think we were linked with early in the in the window. I actually really rated him and wanted him. Um, we wound up going for Odegaard instead and getting him to our credit, and hopefully that works out. But my understanding is that he hasn't been off to the best of starts. Uh, certainly when I've watched him, I haven't been super impressed. I guess um, I don't, you know, I, I probably don't know as much as I should about Villa at this point other than... I've been fairly, I've been fairly sort of neutral. I, I don't think Villa have been a team that have, have blown me away in terms of how they're playing, but you can see a clear identity and a clear way of playing, and it, you know, I think it can be effective. And you have some young attacking talent that I, I really rate and think will will cause us problems. I will tell you though that like, be prepared for a pretty dull night at the Emirates is my guess. Like that, that's kind of what I would anticipate more than anything. And obviously, while I hope we will win, I think on the back of the two games we've just had. I I mean every game right now you, you you wouldn't be dumb to put money on a goalless draw like I think we're gonna have a lot of goalless draws even though we're just coming off a two two it wasn't the kind of two two that gets you off your seat that's for sure so yeah I don't know exactly what to expect from Bill I'd be curious to hear from you but I would say that our our issue is creating chances and putting the the opposition under sustained pressure so you're gonna have plenty of time to be able to have the ball and kick it around in midfield and we'll see where that goes you know good way to hype up. Hype, up, hype it up for Sky Sports. Let's hope that those yeah, viewers aren't watching. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, this has been really enjoyable. Thank you. Before you go, I ask everyone um, for a score prediction. You mentioned a nil-nil, but I don't know whether that's your your final view on it. But yeah, if I could get a score out of you, what do you think it could be? It's a tough one. So people make fun of me because I can be a little bit negative at times in my analysis of things, but going into matches, I always think we're going to be great and everything's going to be good, you know? So... Th- that that makes it a little difficult because hope springs eternal for me. I guess the problem is I look at the talent that Arsenal have and I see a team that I feel like sh- like should be talented enough to to go ahead and win this game. But you know we've produced eight point nine expected goals this season. Aston Villa have produced nine. Um, you know neither of us are particularly bad defense. I mean I, statistically we look bad, but it's because again because of some of the fixtures we've had. I I can't get away from a nil nil here. This this looks like a game. That could be pretty drab, but I I hope to be wrong. Believe me. 
<laughs> Brilliant. Well, that's the wrong way to hype it up, as I said. Um, I, I think I'll go for a 2-1. I think both, I think Villa are on the back of obviously two losses at the moment. Mm. Arsenal unbeaten in five. And, you know, you said you like to be negative. I quite <laughs> like to hop on that train as well. So I'll go, I'll unfortunately go 2-1 Arsenal for this one. But let's hope from my perspective that it's a different result. Anyway, I really appreciate you joining me. So thank you. It was my pleasure and I appreciate being asked. Thanks very much. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 